0: Boy, it's great to be with you today. You look great as always. I always enjoy interacting with you. Thanks for your smiles and for saying hi to me in the Student Center when we pass at Macon or in Baldwin. Uh, I don't get to know many of you personally, but, uh, but I always enjoy uh, interacting with you and seeing, seeing you. I don't know if they're in the house this morning, but we have with us uh, on campus today a team from, the, from CCNE, which is the accrediting body for our School of Nursing. And uh, I hope if you see them, you'll make them feel welcome. It amazes me how many times when we have visitors from off-campus in the exit interview with us, they will say some version of you have amazing students. Give yourselves a hand, if it would, for that. And I genuinely want to thank you for the character that you bring to Indiana Wesleyan University. You are our institution. You are our college here. And uh, it's, it's just great to see how God lives in you and works through you in so many ways. I just want to, uh, in a moment, we're going to focus our thoughts on Jeremiah chapter 29. If you have a Bible text with you, either a, a paper one or, or a digital one, you might wanna turn there and be ready. In a moment, we're gonna read some verses from Jeremiah chapter 29, but I wanna take a moment and just recognize some some people that I think deserve recognition. Uh, would you would you just give a hand to Al Pritchard and Dulos for their work with Girl Rising and all of this uh, human trafficking? <laughs> Their interest and passion and focusing our attention on the human trafficking issues is great. Thanks, Al, and all of you working on that. And what about our men's and women's basketball teams, eh? Both of them are uh, leading the Crossroads League, one ranked number one, one ranked number six, and uh, wonderful young people. It was great to see Patrick Hopkins last night at the game. Any of you upperclassmen remember Patrick? Big guy in the middle? star of our teams, <laughs> great player. Patrick's a coach, and he brought his team uh, to the game last night, and uh, I think they had some time with Coach Tonegal and Coach Clark and our team in the locker room. And I was thinking, isn't it amazing that young athletes around the state now come to our university, to our athletic programs, in our locker room to look for inspiration and guidance? That you, know, you just can't, you can't, really put a value on that kind of influence on young men and you know, women's lives. So I'm so grateful for our coaches, Coach Brooks and others who, who, who do such a great job. And you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say something about some of the wonderful programs and faculty we have. Don't get many chances to do this with you. I hope, you know, it's just us here. I hope you don't mind if I do some of this with you this morning. Um, you know, Rod Crossman stepped in to give leadership to the art division this year. And uh, he's had some interesting things going on in his personal life as well. Um, and, and Rod's just done a phenomenal job stepping in and helping to give leadership to really what is one of the most respected art divisions in the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. And Rod, I don't know if you're here or any of the faculty from art are here, but I just want to thank you for that work you're doing. All of you that are art majors and are part of that division, Thank you. I am always, always grateful and thankful for Todd Guy and the music division, the chorale and the phenomenal work that they do. You may not be aware of this, but one of the fastest growing majors at at, at, uh, Indiana Wesleyan University is Exercise Science, and I want to give a shout out to Profs Cook and Williams for their work in Exercise Science. Really a lot of growing program, growing major here. may not know something else that's going on. Uh, Three of our professors, Doherty, Steenberg, and Runyon have created a really fascinating cutting-edge app that helps us to understand and measure the behavior associated with our discipleship. Uh, It's really amazing. I've never seen anything like it. And I remember when they came and sat down with me in the office and said, we think we might want to do this. We want to kind of create a company to do this. Is that okay? Can we, can we do that at Indiana Westland University? And I said, absolutely. God's given you that vision and, your, and, and the ability to do that. Go for it. So they have their company up and running. I don't know if they're making any money. I don't think so. But, uh, <laughs> but it's really an amazing thing they're doing. And I, I just want to salute them for their innovation and creativity. Would you give those guys a hand? Well, I can't do very many. I know I'm gonna leave someone out and offend people, but uh, what about Eddie Shigley and the Kern program, the School of Theology and Ministry? One of the most influential disciplines in our world today is the discipline of entertainment and in particular journalism. Uh, It's going through tremendous change. It was called the fourth estate, part of the structure of a democratic society is to have dependable, honest journalists, journalists who have integrity. And uh, I love what Randall King and Communications Division is doing with convergent journalism and, and the work that they're doing there. You may not be a part of that, but I think that's one of the important things coming out of our institution. So, Randall, thank you for the work you're doing there, buddy. Give him a hand. And finally, for this part, uh, let's see. I've got to read this clock here. I think I have 21 minutes, right? OK. You know, I've been around IW now for 20-some years, and uh, I've seen student governments come and go. And I just want to give a very genuine, heartfelt thanks to Tim Scurlock and the Student Government Association. I don't know that I've ever seen a more active, and uh, effective Student Government Association and Tim and his crew. I hope you'll be a part of the discussion panel tonight, the sixth discussion panel on race relations, a very important topic in this particular week that we have. Uh, and, uh, and so Tim, if you're here right now, uh, and those of you as a part of SGA, I just want to thank you so much for the way that you're conducting student government this year and, and actually the last couple of years. You're doing a phenomenal job. Thank you so much. Now let's look at scripture. Jeremiah chapter 29, this is a message from God through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel who were taken into captivity, into exile in Babylon about 597 BC. There were two waves of of exiles that went to Babylon and this was a message given to a group of people, God's people, who had suffered a tremendous defeat and had gone into exile, and here's the message that God sent to them through the prophet Isaiah or Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. they're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. My daughter Kristen discovered along her journey after graduating from IWU here that God had called her to a writing ministry. You might remember, Kristen was here last year and spoke in chapel. She talked about her journey. She and her husband, after graduation, moved to California and lived there for about a decade. And in that process of discovering that she wasn't really called to, to work in Hollywood as a, as a missionary to Hollywood, if you will, that God had gifted her and given her the ability with words to write. And part of that was honed here with Mary Brown and tremendous mentorship that Mary has given to her all through these years, a wonderful, wonderful faculty member. But in that process Kristen realized that she was called to write. So she set out to find a master's program that would help her prepare and hone her skill. She settled on a program at Antioch University LA, a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Nonfiction. Now you have to understand something, Antioch University, the home campus back then was in Ohio and to put it politely, Antioch University is one of the most liberal universities that you would ever have anywhere in the United States. And Antioch University LA was about as secular program that you could possibly find. So here is this young woman raised in a missionary family. We raised her in Haiti and in England and then missionaries here to Grant County, Indiana Wesleyan University, raised in the church from the time she could barely breathe, gave her heart to the Lord when she was just a young child, went to a Christian college and university, called to serve God. Her whole life, her whole shaping, her whole values, created and shaped by a holiness tradition, the Wesleyan holiness tradition, plopped down in one of the most secular, worldly if you will, master's programs, universities that you could imagine in the United States of America. And so as she goes through her coursework, she interacts with people that are very, very different from herself. There was not a single person in her cohort of students that she rubbed shoulders with, either students or faculty who thought like her who had her sensibilities and values shaped like her, who were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived their lives trying to glorify her. There was not a single other person like her there. And so she would occasionally write to us and talk to us about what it was like for her as a follower of Jesus Christ to be in that environment, to be shaped in her professional skills and abilities, rubbing shoulders with listening to sharing with people who had very, very different values and perspectives. Came time for them to do their master's program, their master's thesis. Now they didn't write a thesis per se. In that particular program, every one of them had to write a piece of creative nonfiction. And the capstone project was that they all of the graduates met together. It wasn't a big program, but all of the graduates met together with their friends and family as audience, and they read their writing. Well, of course, we were living in L.A. and and uh, we weren't going to miss this opportunity, so we were on the invite list, and we went to attend. And one by one, the graduates of her program, her colleagues, her graduate student colleagues got up and began to read their theses, their projects. And I don't know any other way to say it, but just to say that little by little, as we listen to this, the only way I can say it is this outpouring of brokenness, of vulgarity, of violence, of darkness that flowed from the words and the heart of these students. It was as though a darkness began to settle on the room. It almost felt like a physical darkness to me. And I sat there, sinking lower in my seat, feeling the weight of brokenness and pain and darkness. These were not the most noble sentiments of which humans are capable. These were expressions of some of the basest, most violent thoughts and images I've ever heard. Kristen read hers almost at the last. She got up and started to read. She read about growing up in the church. She told her story about being a missionary kid, about her friends in Haiti, Chantal and Riet. She talked about formative teenage years in Afro-Caribbean churches in England. When all of her friends and colleagues were were black British or African uh, uh, British folks. She talked about her love affair with Jesus Christ. She talked about the difficulties of being a Christian. She talked about her arguments with the church. And woven through this story that Kristen read was this authentic testimony of someone whose life had been shaped in an environment where she met Jesus Where she grew up in the church with all of its difficulties and its warts. But in that found a meaning and a purpose and a joy and a light. And I kid you not, as we sat there and listened, it felt to me like from the edges of the room, light began to seep back in to that place. When she finished, there was a completely different atmosphere in the room. And I thought, yeah, that's what Christians do. I'll tell you what I've been wrestling with lately, guys, and I've been wrestling this for you, for me, as a president of an evangelical Christian university in the holiness tradition. How do we pre- prepare to be that kind of Christian in a world where the dominant motif about our interaction with our world and our society is one of war. Today it seems as though when we talk about our interaction and all the ways that we think about how we as Christians live in and interact with our fellow neighbors, our fellow citizens in America and in the world, the dominant motif that governs our way of thinking and talking about it is this construct of the culture war. James Davison Hunter wrote a book that said it well. He said, culture wars: the struggle to control the family, art, education, law, politics, and America in America. It seems that everywhere we turn, our identity, our focus, our witness, our conversation, our questions have to do with this consuming metaphor of a culture war. I don't have time this morning to talk about the history of the culture war. But it's focused our attention in a certain way. It's made us think in a certain way about the kind of role we have. these are important issues that are under discussion, but I fear that we are now so deeply enmeshed with a particular metaphor, a particular way of thinking, that it has consumed our imagination. I find myself asking questions like this, who are we as followers of Jesus Christ? Who really are we? in a society that thinks of these moral issues in this way? How are we supposed to live our lives in a society like this one? What's the role of a Christian university? How should we interact in this society? I'm uneasy that this way of thinking about it, this war way of thinking about it, Inevitably makes me look at other people as potential enemies. I read their words and their actions as actions of enemies rather than fellow creatures created by our Heavenly Father meant to live together here to create the best society we can create. And I have to admit, I struggle. How do I share the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation in Christ, when I view my neighbor as an enemy in a culture war, when I'm on guard against them? How can I keep an open heart and mind towards those from whom I need to receive and to whom I need to give understanding, respect, and acceptance when the way I think of them is combatants in a war? How can we ever shape our world? Are people we disagree with about important things always only destined to be our combatants, our enemies? Is this the only way? How is the culture war going for you? I have to admit it's not going very well for me. So I've been asking myself, if we're not warriors, then what are we? This matters a lot for us. It matters a lot for me as president of your university. How you think of yourself when you leave here. What are we preparing you to be? Well, I'd like to make a suggestion of a different way of thinking. What if we were to think of ourselves not as warriors, but as ambassadors? How might it change the way we think of ourselves and our interaction in society? If we thought of ourselves as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, sent to live for a time in a far country, a troubled country to be sure, that's forgotten. What heaven is like? a passionate, fierce, sometimes violent country, but also a beautiful country, full of wonderful people, highly loved and valued by Jesus Christ. What if we thought of ourselves as ambassadors of the heavenly kingdom living in this country? For the past several years, literally, I've been thinking about the people in the Bible experience of these people when they were clearly not in control of their circumstances. When they were sent to live in a far country. I've been thinking about Joseph. A human trafficking survivor. Sold into slavery by his own family into a country that did not value him. I've been thinking about Moses. I've been thinking about Daniel. I think of this letter, okay, I've got about five minutes, can I give you five lessons for ambassadors? Let me see if I can do this really quickly and we'll finish. I am captivated by this lesson from God through Jeremiah. First lesson for ambassadors is this, there's life after the war. Did you hear what God said to them? These are people that lost the war in Jerusalem, carried off in exile into Babylon, and God says to them, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat your produce. Friends, I'm concerned that sometimes the rhetoric of the war makes us lose hope. The stakes feel so high It's all about us winning. I want to tell you, in God's way of thinking for ambassadors, there's life after the war. Settle down. Live in the land. Plant your gardens wherever God leads you. God's preparing us to live beside people who are not just like ourselves. We won't always feel at home. There will be ambiguities. There will be times when we won't know quite what to say. But this is where we're called to build houses and settle down and grow gardens. This is where we're called. Second lesson, take care of your community of faith. In chapter, verse 6, God's message to them is, marry, have sons and daughters, make sure your kids get married so you have grandkids. Don't decrease. Increase. Take care of your community. One of the things that disturbs me is the culture war seeps into the life of the church. We spend as much time fighting with each other and destroying our own community. We can't be ambassadors like that. That's not the way to be ambassadors. God said to them, take care of your community, have families, live together. Don't abandon your community. Ambassadors never give up their identity. Did you hear me? Ambassadors never give up their citizenship, nor do they compromise the values of their own country. They live as the embodiment of what is most beautiful and attractive. Let me stop with number three the third lesson for ambassadors. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Now, one of the interesting things is in those verses, verses 7 and 8 and so forth, there is a Hebrew word that's translated seek the peace and prosperity. It's the same Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word you know. It's the word shalom. It's what God says to these ambassadors living in exile in another country, in a far country, not the country of their choice. Among people they don't really feel comfortable with. He says to them, and this was unheard of in ancient Middle Eastern culture. My captor? I'm going to pray for their shalom? For their prosperity and peace. Ah, This is what God has called us to do. We seek the shalom of our city. We seek the peace. Ambassadors are always asking, how do I make the best? How do I use what's best from my country to bless this country? You know, if God calls you into the political arena, go there and bless the city. If God calls you to be a journalist, go there and seek the shalom of the city. If God calls you to be a teacher, a medical person, an economist, a doctor, whatever it is, we settle down, we build houses, we grow our gardens, and we seek the shalom the place to which God sends us we don't see our fellow citizens as our enemies and combatants though they may be different from us we never compromise who we are we never compromise our values we rely on scripture we don't abandon scripture most of all we love Jesus Christ you know what Kristen experienced in that program, the words she said meant nothing to them. It was the authenticity of Kristen's person formed and shaped in the image of Jesus Christ that flowed out of her, whether she knew it or not, that they were watching. She has a friend to this day, a gay man in that community a fellow grad student he said to her one time he said Kristen why can't more Christians be like you and I have to understand he knew what she believed about that life <clears throat> but the authenticity and the warmth and the joy of love of Christ's love in her is what reached out she was seeking, seeking the shalom of that friend and that's what came across man I wish I had time to tell you more stories about how that works I care about what you do when you leave here I pray God will prepare you to be ambassadors and what you gain here the true and authentic relationship you have with Christ and the preparation for your career is what you will give to bless the city when you leave here. Father, thank you for the word of scripture to our hearts. I play your blessing on these men and women. Make them ambassadors for your grace and your glory. May truly together we seek the shalom of the city where you place us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you.